Hi, good morning, everyone. I think uh, I'm looking at the audience. I don't see anybody left that's under 10. If there is anybody between the age of uh, 6 and 10, you're welcome to join the Calvary Cadets. They'll be doing uh, Christmas um, crafts in the other room. But like I said, I don't actually see anyone in that age group, so unless I missed someone, please, the rest of you can stay here. Uh, Christmas time is a special time uh, for us all, I think. But uh, I have some uh, questions I'd like to be asking ourselves as we think about the season. Um, what is it that we like the most about Christmas? And I realize uh, could be different uh, things to different uh, members of the congregation. What is it that is uh, most special to you about Christmas? What is it that uh, you look forward to at this time of the year? Family. Sorry? Family. family, yes. Spending time with family, that's uh, very precious. Special insights about the word birth. Seems like a lot of people are thinking about his birth. Okay. Okay, it's a special time to think about the Lord Jesus, uh, especially his birth and what it means to us. Good. Christmas carols. Christmas carols, okay, singing, uh, Christmas songs. Good. Okay, an opportunity to, to share the gospel with people that haven't heard it. Yeah, it's true. Good. Kids. Kids, you like uh, spending time with kids? Oh, gifts. Sorry. Gifts. Good. That's the correct answer. <laughs> I was looking for that one. Now, it may depend on your age a little bit. I think as we're younger, uh, receiving gifts is uh, more special. As we get older, especially as parents and maybe grandparents, we might enjoy giving gifts, right? And uh, seeing those uh, we love enjoy those gifts. Uh, yeah, that's good. I had that picture that went along with that one. This is the way gifts look today. <laughs> they show up at the door. So much for uh, Santa Claus uh, coming down the chimney. Now it's the uh, Amazon delivery person uh, coming to your door and leaving the big box there. But yeah, we enjoy, we enjoy gifts. Now, what I want us to think about is uh, the Christmas story really is about a gift or a Christmas gift uh, that, uh, that's very, very special, and that's the gift we want to think about today. It's wonderful that we get to give gifts to our children. It's wonderful for our children to receive gifts, but there was one gift above all other gifts uh, given, and that is the reason we celebrate uh, Christmas Today, there's a number of questions we want to ask about the gift. First of all, uh, who, who gave the gift of Christmas? Who gave us the gift of Christmas? I'm sorry? God the Father. Yeah, good. So the gift of Christmas really was given to us by God. Um, what was it that motivated God to give the gift of Christmas. Um, 
Good, and uh, I'll, I'll just run through the questions and then we'll spend a little bit of time thinking about each of these questions. Uh, what motivated God to give us the gift? Uh, second question, um, what did this gift cost God? How expensive was the gift? Uh, next, we wanna ask, uh, why do we need this gift? Why do we need this uh, gift God gives us? Uh, fourth, we wanna ask, uh, what is in this gift? What is in the gift of Christmas? Uh, number five, how do we receive this gift? And uh, last, and that's really a question for each of us to ask, is have, have we received the gift, the gift of Christmas? So with that, let's go back to the first question, but let me read the verse that I wanna be thinking about because it uh, outlines well the message, and that is perhaps the best known verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We'll go ahead and we'll break this uh, verse down into, into portions as we think about it. First of all, what was it that motivated God to give us the gift of Christmas. And the answer is in this verse, it says, for God so loved the world. What is it that motivates us to give gifts to our children? Love, right. It's because I love my children and I enjoy them being happy, I try to give gifts to them that will make them happy. So we'll see how successful we were this year. But uh, our children look forward to the gifts and uh, we look forward to them opening the gifts and finding out what's in the gifts and seeing the smile on their face. Uh, hopefully some surprise if we did a good job keeping secret what's in the gift. Uh, God has the same motivation. If you walk with nothing else out of this meeting, uh, walk with this thought that God loves you. And because God loves you, he gave you a special gift. <coughs> Second, uh, what is the cost of the gift? Uh, I have a question for you if we look at the next image. Now, when you give a gift, do you include the price tag on the gift? No? No? Why not? Why don't you include the price tag on the gift? I'm sorry? It's not necessary. It's not necessary, okay. You don't, maybe you don't want people to know how much the gift actually costs, okay. That would be one reason. Any other reasons you can think of? Yes, Nessia? Okay, so yeah, I guess in our case, we have four children and uh, each of them gets a gift and they might compare the price tags. I'm like, wait a second, mine cost you know, $2 and so many cents and my brother got a gift that cost $100. 
it tells me something, right? Maybe uh, my parents love my brother more than they love me, okay? So yeah, that might be one reason. We don't want people to feel like they got gypped as uh, we're passing out the Christmas presents. Any, any other reasons people can think of? Yeah. Yeah, one, one other one, uh, I remember my grandfather uh, once gave me a gift, and uh, he didn't want me to know how much money he spent on me. He didn't want me to know how much money he spent on me. Sometimes we might be embarrassed uh, for people to realize just how much we were willing to give for them. So it can go either way. We don't want them to feel like we don't love them enough, and uh, then sometime we don't want them to know just how much we love them, that we hide the price tag. Uh, God tells us in this verse, in John 3, 16, how much he loves us. For God so loved the world, and that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son. That is the price tag that goes along with the gift of Christmas, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. Now, we could think about different things when we think about God giving his son. We might think of uh, Mary and uh, Joseph in the stable and holding a new precious baby boy and feeling, wow, that's a great gift that God gave us. We have a baby boy that we could uh, raise and enjoy, and, and that's a wonderful gift of itself, I'm sure. We might uh, think of the blessing that Jesus was to the nation of Israel. Uh, here among them, all of a sudden, walked a perfect man. Uh, we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Sometime we're pleasant to be with, and sometime we might be unpleasant to be with. Uh, the Lord Jesus was always perfect. He always did what's right. He always said what's right. He was always kind. He was always loving. Uh, he went through Israel. Some say that he banished disease from Israel for a period of three years as he healed person after person. Uh, he taught people the word of God. People got to hear with clarity uh, who the person of God is and the love that God had for them, uh, the way of salvation as the Lord Jesus came. So that was a special gift too. Yet when we think about the price tag that's associated with the gift of Christmas, our mind goes invariably to 1 John 4, 9 through 10, and that is a verse that was quoted for us by the children, granted at a slightly different translation than this one. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so the price tag on the gift of Christmas isn't just Jesus coming into this world uh, as a baby and eventually a man and serving us in various capacity, but it's his death on the cross that is the price tag of the gift of Christmas. That is how much God 
loves you and me, and he is not ashamed to say so. He wants us to know of this love that he has for us. Third, why do we need this gift? Um, my wife and I spend a, spend a significant amount of time thinking about our children and what might be the perfect gift uh, to our children. We think of something that's useful, uh, something that they will enjoy, uh, something that's within our budget. Um, and uh, yet sometimes we get things wrong. I, I had a picture to go with that as well. Now that, not one of our children, but yeah, invariably, uh, not all Christmas gifts quite hit the mark. Uh, maybe the person giving the gift uh, wasn't thoughtful enough about what the recipient would truly desire. Uh, but it's also possible that sometimes the receiver just doesn't realize they really need uh, the gift that is given. It might be uh, the perfect gift, but the receiver doesn't recognize that it is the perfect gift. <clears throat> and sadly, that is the case about the gift that God gave us in the Lord Jesus. People uh, don't appreciate their need for the gift. And so we, we have to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about what is it that we needed that the Lord Jesus came to give us in this special gift of Christmas. I will use, uh, with your permission, as an illustration, uh, President Trump. I, uh, I don't wish to become political in this, uh, in this presentation. Uh, politics are very acrimonious in the United States. Uh, it, uh, it's remarkable that uh, pretty much every Democrat agrees that President Trump needs to be impeached and almost every Republican disagrees. So we don't want to split this congregation in between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, so that's not my purpose. But uh, the illustration comes from the fact that he is right now uh, being accused of um, of doing something wrong. And as a result, he's kind of under trial. It's a very public trial. It's not an official trial um, because there's no judge that's presiding. There's no jury. Uh, he is to be tried first by the um, House of Representatives. And then it'll be, if he is accused there, he will then be tried by the Senate. But uh, we, too, will see are uh, under a trial. And there's the connection. Really, what we want to do is think about ourselves and our need, not so much President Trump and his need, but just using him as an illustration to transition to thinking about our own situation, the accusation that's against each and every one of us and the trial that uh, we are in. Uh, first of all, there must be a standard under which we are to be tried. Uh, the Constitution allows the Congress and Senate to impeach the President for treason, bribery, or other high crimes 
and misdemeanors. So they have a standard they must adhere to if they are to impeach President Trump. In this case, they're focusing on the later phrase that states high crimes and misdemeanors. And they're interpreting those to mean uh, if the president uses the power vested in him, so he is a president because we voted him to be president, or enough people voted him to be president, to make him president, and as a result, he received certain powers. Uh, he, in fact, he is right now the most powerful person on the face of the earth. He, has, he is the commander-in-chief of the most powerful army uh, in the nation. Uh, he is... Um, uh, has power on spending budget. Uh, that's the largest budget in the world. Uh, and, uh, and has a lot of things in his power and his command. And if he uses those for his personal advantage, uh, then that is considered, at least it's so interpreted now, to be high crimes. It's crimes that he can commit because of his high position. Right? We put him, we gave him, we vested him with great power and responsibility, and we expect him to use those for the benefit of the nation, not his personal benefit. And that's what he's tried on. We're not going to say, because we don't know whether he is, he's guilty or not, but that's the trial he is, he is under. That's, that's the standard by which he will be judged. What about ourselves? Often, um, we don't recognize that we have uh, special investment that comes with responsibility. Uh, let me turn to Genesis chapter 1. So right at the beginning of the chapter, and verse 26 through 28, and we will see that we also have been vested with special power and responsibility by God. Genesis 1.26 reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you have been vested with great power. You have been created in the image of God. And being created in the image of God gives you certain power, certain mental capacity, a certain spiritual capacity, a will, the ability of making choices that have great consequences. Uh, he put the earth under man, and this doesn't mean that man has the right to just abuse the earth, but that all the resources of the earth are at our disposal, and, uh, and we can use them uh, for good or evil. Not necessarily collective, but individually. This, believe it or not, came from the earth, right? Every component here came from this planet. People put it together, and, uh, and this gives me a lot of power 
in my hand to do things that are good and to do things that are bad. And, uh, and so I stand responsible before God in how I use the power vested in me, be it uh, my iPhone or my body or my mind, my time. All these things that I have came from God, and I am responsible to God in how I use these things. Uh, someone asked Jesus, what is it that God expects of us? They asked him, saying, teacher, <clears throat> which is the great commandment in the law? What is it that God wants us to do? And Jesus answered, verse 37, Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What is the standard that God holds you and me to? What is it that God is expecting of us? And Jesus summarized it with this great commandment or two commandments if you have them. One is to love God. God gave me everything that I have so I should love God and appreciate him for everything I have. Everything that I am came from him and I need to love my neighbor as myself. They are also uh, creatures, fellow creatures to me made by God, made after God's own image. God loves them and so everything that I have, be it my iPhone or my body or my mind or my time, should be used to show love to God and to show love to my fellow creatures uh, made in God's image. You. I'm supposed to love each and every one of you. And you're supposed to love all of your neighbors as well. That's the standard that God expects from me and from you. Similar, in a sense, to President Trump, we expect him to use his power not for his personal benefit, but really for the benefit of others. In the same way, God expects us to use everything he gives us, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. That is the standard. What's the evidence uh, in favor or against us? against President Trump. This is a little bit scary to me as I was reading about uh, President uh, Trump uh, going through this trial, is that uh, when he picks up the phone and makes a phone call to another head of state, there's people listening, right? And somebody heard him say certain things and felt that was inappropriate. President Trump, according to this whistleblower is abusing his power and people need to know about it. That would be scary if I knew that someone was listening to every conversation that I made. And um, how much worse if people could see through me and listen to every thought that went through my mind. And yet that is the trial that we are under uh, we're told this in Revelation chapter 20, 
Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. God is keeping account. So President Trump has those who are keeping account of his doings. Uh, they're listening to his conversation, and they're keeping account of it. They're typing in what they heard, and they have their responsibility if they feel that something inappropriate is going on to report it. Well, God is keeping track of our lives, and he's not just looking at what I'm doing, things that other people can see. He can see when nobody is there watching me, uh, and he can even look down into my heart and see what is the motive behind my action. And remember, he is judging us based, is our action showing that we're loving God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and our neighbor as ourselves? And that's not just during my 40 hours of work. Uh, imagine President Trump has the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm done with my business, right, as president, and now I want some personal time off, and he uh, has privacy. I don't think anybody will follow him when he's not acting as president. He says, this is just my personal time I need to spend now. But not so with us. God, who gave us everything, is always watching. He is always interested in our lives. He always sees how we're relating to him and how we're relating to others. And, um, and so really, we are in a much more precarious situation than President Trump is. Finally, what is the consequence of being fine, found guilty? What will be the consequence for President Trump if uh, the House of Representatives and then uh, the Senate finds him guilty of violating the trust that we, the people, have put in him, uh, the consequence will be impeachment. He will be separated from his office. He will no longer be the President of the United States. Now, that has never happened and probably won't. But if both House of Representatives and the Senate both find him in violation of his oath as President, of abusing the power vested in him, he will be separated from his office. What about you and me? What if God finds us guilty of not loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and not loving our neighbor as ourselves? What's the consequence for you in me and me? Well, continuing in the same passage in the uh, book of Revelation, it says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake. 
of fire. We too will be separated. It is a threefold separation. First, uh, we are separated from our relationship with God. That is something that actually has already happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God and they were put out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, it really represented a break in their fellowship with God. And uh, it's a break that we actually enter into as soon as we enter the world. There is a certain void in our lives. Some people will describe it as a, a God-shaped hole in your heart where you feel like there's something missing, but you don't know what it actually is. Uh, it's a lack of fulfillment. It can be a lack of peace. Something is wrong with my life, and I don't know what it is. It's very likely the fact that you're separated from God because of, of our sin. That's what separates us from our God. Second, there is a separation from this body. I am actually not this body you see in front of you. I am the person who dwells inside this body. And at, at, this body was given to me by God, and at some point God will separate me from this body. We call that death. That's the death of the body. When my body dies, I will no longer be in this body. I will be a part of it. And it makes sense when you think about it. God gave me this body, and I chose not to love him, not to serve him, not to love my fellow human being. God is in his right to say, well, you don't need this body anymore. You're not doing with it what I want you to do. Um, finally, the third form is, uh, we can call it the second death, or spiritual death, or uh, an eternal separation. Right now we are in this world, which is part of God's blessing. God made this world as a place for us to inhabit and to enjoy. Well, uh, by rebelling against God, by not loving God, not doing what God wants us to do, he will separate us from this place and put us in a place called hell or the lake of fire or the outer darkness. And uh, I am thankful that I will never experience exactly what that means. But my fear is that there's people in this room that will experience what that really means. And that's not what God wants for you. That is why he gave us the gift of Christmas, so that we will never have to experience that place. The fourth question I ask is, what is in this gift? Uh, I mentioned that my wife and I We'll think about what is it that our children, children will enjoy the most, and then we'll try to buy it. My wife will go to the store. She'll try to tuck it in the bottom of the shopping cart so the kids don't see what it is. Then she gets home, and she sneaks it to the office, and she wraps it all nice. So you can't tell what's inside. Why does she do that? Yes? Yeah, so it'll be a surprise, right? Uh, I have a picture for that, too. For that moment of joy when the child opens the gift, like, wow, I got this. Uh, so we should ask the question, what is it that's inside 
uh, the gift of Christmas. We talked about the fact that it's a gift motivated by, by God's love. We talked about the fact that it came at the high price tag of the life of his son. The Lord Jesus died to make it possible. We talked about our need for it. Our need for it is we've sinned against God. And as a result, we will be separated from God for all of eternity. But he gave us this gift so we wouldn't have to be separated. What is it exactly that this gift contains? Uh, let me start by making sure we understand how it is that we can have this gift. And the reason is the Lord Jesus dying for our sins. God is just. And his justice requires that sin be paid for. And we are not so different. When we see somebody uh, doing something bad, we feel justice needs to be served. A person needs to pay for the crimes that they have committed. Uh, that is a sense that comes from God. God gave us the sense of justice, the sense that, that justice must be paid. Uh, the Lord Jesus provides the justice of God. Our sins were paid for by the Lord Jesus. 2,000 years ago on the cross on Mount Calvary. And so it's paid for in full, but as we open it, what is it that we find inside? Well, really, we find the reversal of the three separations. First, God invites us into a relationship with himself, the relationship he created you and me for. Remember, uh, God created you with a need for that special relationship with him, that God-shaped hole in your heart. And when you receive the gift of Christmas, you receive a restoration of that relationship with God. I remember uh, to this day when I finally received the gift, just the feeling of joy and fulfillment that I had uh, that I've never had before. Right? It's just an experience that unless you've went through it, you don't know what it is, but again, it's the opposite of feeling unfulfilled. Why am I here? Why do I have no peace or satisfaction and joy in my life? To an abundance of joy, to peace, to fulfillment. I am fulfilled. Right? I know what it is that God wants me to do, and I can enjoy every moment doing that. Right? That's the blessing. The first gift of Christmas is really a relationship with God. Jesus said it in this way. In John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God, to know him as he knows you. A real relationship like you can have with me. You can have that same kind of relationship with God, and he wants nothing less for you. Third, it is... Uh, a new body. This body uh, will still die. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that's what God thinks of this body, it's just a tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. God has a new body prepared for me. Uh, my wife is right now going through some... Uh, uh, discomfort in her knee. She, she hurt her knee uh, about 15 years ago playing volleyball. 
and it's been flaring up this year. She's been in more pain. She can't uh, run or, or walk without uh, discomfort. And, uh, you know, we're looking at a surgery. We'd like to have a surgery to try to repair the damage in the knee and, and give her more comfort. But uh, we realize it's just temporary. I can fix that knee at least somewhat. It's not going to be as good as it originally was. And it'll give her more comfort, but eventually that knee will still give. And you know what? Every other part in her body will still give. Every part in my body will eventually give. I, I can't take this body to heaven with me. It will not last. And so God has a new body prepared for us, a house not built with hand, eternal in the heaven. The next body will be indestructible, right? It's the kind of body that you really want because it will last forever. Uh, third, it's a place. We talked about the fact this, this world is a place where we can experience God's blessings. There are a lot of wonderful things in this world, but it's also a place where there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of wants. There's a lot of heartaches. And what we really need is a place that doesn't have suffering, a place that doesn't have heartaches, pain, and death. And that is what God has prepared for us. Revelation 21, the next chapter, says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That is what heaven is, right? A place with no pain, no suffering, no death no sadness. And God, Jesus, is preparing a place in heaven for you and for me. That's where he wants us to be, with him in heaven. Finally, uh, we want to answer the question, how do we receive this gift? How do we receive the gift of Christmas? Um, what is it that my son has to do to receive the gift that I give him? Does he have to pull out his checkbook and says, okay, Dad, here's, <laughs> here's what this gift cost you, so now give it to me. No, I don't expect my son to pay. It's a gift. I paid for it. He doesn't have to. Does he have to be uh, good? Uh, no. No, he doesn't have to be good. I, I know my son is not perfect. I know exactly what he is, and I still, I still want to give him uh, the gift. Really, all he has to do is receive it. I say, son, this is for you. And he needs to accept it and says, thank you, Father. I'll take it. <laughs> right? he, he just needs to believe it really is for him. I really got it for him, and it's his. And he can do with it as he wish. Uh, the same is true with us. All we have to do to receive this gift that God is giving us is believe. Romans 10 and 9 says that if we confess, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart 
that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you have to do is believe that God is giving you the gift. God loves you. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross. We know it. It's in our history books. Right? And it's believing he did it for you to pay for your sins and for my sins. That's all you have to do to receive this gift. My last question for you, that which I promised at the beginning, and that is a question only you can answer. Have you received this gift? Uh, I have a uh, doorbell on my house. When the doorbell is being rung, I know that uh, there's probably a gift at the door. These days, it seems like they're coming every other day. Um, no, go ahead, that's the right one. And uh, I have a choice, right? I can open the door and go outside and take the gift. I can say, you know what? This gift is not really worth my time. I'm not interested. Uh, you would call me a fool if I did it. And yet, that is what people do with the gift of Christmas. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The Lord Jesus wants to have fellowship with you today if you haven't yet received him. And he wants to have fellowship with you for all of eternity. If you haven't yet received his gift, I challenge you to ask yourself why you haven't received it. And um, if you want uh, recommendations, uh, these days I go to, uh, if I try to choose a gift, and usually I'll buy them at Amazon. I'm sorry if that's hurting anybody else's business. But uh, one of the nice things in Amazon is when you are thinking of buying something, you'll see a rating next to it, a certain number of stars, right? One, two stars, it's pretty bad. Three stars, maybe it's okay. Four, it's pretty good. Five, it's perfect. And then you can also look at the number of people who said that. And usually, if I buy something, I want to see at least four stars and at least 100 people who rated <laughs> this particular product. With the case of the Lord Jesus, you have millions of ratings. Millions of people who received this gift and put a certain number of stars by it. Uh, in this room, there's many people who have received it. If you haven't, if you haven't received it, why not check it out? Talk to people who have and see what their experience was of receiving the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Christmas we recognize that it's your heart of love that uh, caused you to offer this gift to us. We recognize this gift is unparalleled. Uh, Lord, we need this gift. We needed it desperately. And we pray for anyone here who hasn't yet received that gift, that you will help them see their need for it, their blessing in it. And, uh, and help those of us who have received it enjoy it, Lord, as we ought to enjoy it. We thank you that we have an opportunity for our fellowship after this meeting. We ask that you might 
uh, blessed with your presence also. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.